Matthew chapter 4. As you're turning there, I'm going to read a scripture from uh, John chapter 10, verse 10, in just a moment here. Um, the, today's message is entitled, Three Ways the Devil Steals from Us. We are not in a series. Uh, we're not in the middle of going through a series. We wrapped up a series a few weeks ago. And uh, just for the next couple of weeks, until we get into December, we're going to do some one-off things with some guest speakers, and, uh, and it'll be an a encouraging time. Uh, I like series teaching because, I don't know if you're like me, uh, but I kind of need to hear the same thing over and over again before it sticks sometimes. Anyone ever have that problem? You know, you need to hear it over and over and over and over again. So there were seven weeks of First John. Uh, about real Christianity. So, um, you know, if, if someone came up to me and said, like, how do I know what a real Christian is? I'd be like, well, go listen to the series because uh, it's for seven weeks and you can hear the message over and over and over again, the same theme. Uh, but some of these individual messages, I think, can really be impactful for us. Uh, today's Three Ways the Devil Steals from Us uh, is, is one of those things. It comes out of John chapter 10, 10, and I want to show you that scripture uh, that says this, the thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and destroy my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Uh, Jesus is talking today, uh, or in that scripture, he's talking in that passage. And what he's really trying to say here uh, is that his purpose in life is not to give you a satisfying life in the way that you think it would look on earth. Satisfying doesn't mean you mean you can have all the stuff you ever wanted and needed, all the stuff that you ever hoped for and dreamed of, and you can just kind of fill yourself with you. That's not what he's talking about here. A rich and satisfying life actually is the kind of life that is abundant, meaning one of the translations says abundant, and it means to be able to go past any expected limit. What he's saying here is the kind of life that I have come to earth to share with you is the kind of life that can take you beyond anything you've ever been able to create in your own initiative. And now as humans, as mankind, like we're pretty creative with some of the things that we do. And we can create some pretty awesome stuff for us to enjoy in this life. Just yesterday, I was at a national band competition up at MetLife uh, Stadium. My wife and I were there at East Rutherford, New Jersey, for a competition that my, my son was in. And we sat there in the 50-yard line in the stands watching all these bands from all over the Northeast compete. And I remember looking all around the stadium, and I'm thinking, this is pretty incredible. I mean, we've created some really incredible stuff in this country. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, like, go to a, a, national, uh, a, a national football league uh, stadium and just take in everything that's there. It's pretty incredible. Just the LED displays all over the parking lot blew me away. I mean, it felt like it was like daylight in the middle of the darkness with all of the light that there was going on all over the, to- all over the place. Pretty impressive. And I was thinking, you know, there'll be people in January sitting in these seats. I was only like maybe 10 rows or 20 rows off the 50-yard the line. And I'm thinking, they'll spend a ton of money in January if it's snowing and raining and whatever, sitting there all bundled up saying, I'm having a great time. I'm having a great time. I'm having a great time. This is wonderful. This is awesome. You know, and people will do that. And they'll spend all this money for something that's exciting because we've created this. This is very true. This is how we live. Do we have any uh, amusement park junkies in this place today? Anybody who loves roller coasters or anything like that? we got some people. Man, I love roller coasters. Couldn't keep me away from coasters when I was a kid. The older I get, the more I still love the coasters, but there's only a certain amount of times I can go on them now until my brain starts to feel like it's getting rattled around in my head, and then I need to get off them. But I love roller coasters. 
mankind created that type of entertainment. Pretty cool stuff, right? However, it's still nothing in comparison to what God says he can do through his son in your life and in mine. Think about that. We can't even understand. The apostle Paul says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive the things God has prepared for those who love him. We can't even fathom how great of a life that we can have because we're going to know the one who made us. That's what he's talking about. You can know the creator of the universe and not in just a head knowledge, but you can know him each and and every day and relate with him like you relate with those people that are around you. And you don't just do it for this side of eternity. You can know him for all eternity. And the devil wants to steal that from us. He wants to steal what it means to walk in abundant life. That's what his goal is. He knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He studied mankind for thousands and thousands of years, and he's smart in his tactics. He doesn't just come up to us and say, oh, look, abundant life is offered to all people. Let me just grab it and pull it out of your hands. If you're a Christian here this morning and you've given your heart to Christ and you've trusted in him and your Lord as your Savior and you're walking that relationship out, it's He's in your heart. The presence of God is in your heart. He does not want you to experience abundance of life. He wants to derail you from experiencing the abundance. But he doesn't come up to you and just try to grab it and yank it out of your heart. He simply looks for ways to show you something better so that you'll willingly let go of it or not pursue it at all. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Christ, There's a parable that we see in the New Testament about the different types of seed that Jesus said that's sown. And some of the seed is scattered under the ground and it's snatched up by the enemy right away before the seed and the truth of God can ever be planted in your heart. He takes it away before it ever has the ability to grow. The devil is a stealer. He's a thief and he wants to rob from you and he wants to take things from you. I believe in my heart of hearts. If I ask the question, how many of us would want to experience true abundant life by knowing Jesus Christ on an ongoing basis, how many of us would say, I want to know the creator of the universe every day. I think a lot of us would say, yeah, I want to walk in relationship with him and I don't want anything to thwart that. I want to be in relationship with him and walk in relationship with him. And that's what God's plan is. And the devil's plan is to take it away. The thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Today we're going to look at three ways the devil steals from us. Three ways that he steals from us. And I really believe that all of us have experienced, I know that we've all experienced in different measure, one or more of these three things. And he's a master at it. But the Bible's very clear when Peter says we're supposed to be aware of his schemes. When you know the playbook of the enemy, you know how to fight it. And that's what I want to do this morning is give you some playbook secrets, if you will, so that you can be reminded of these things so when you see them, you know how to fight them. And they all come from the three temptations that Jesus experienced while he was in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. The first way the devil tries to steal from us is this, discouragement. He tries to discourage us. And the lie that he tells, and all three of these ways are all lies, but the lie that he tells is your gifts are not effective. Your gifts are not effective. I want to look at this beginning in verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He's talking about Jesus. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. 
Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, we're not just talking about gifts. Really, the foundation of this passage is not really about gifts, but the discouragement that the devil's going out here is questioning identity. What he says to Jesus is, if you are really the Son of God, if you are really the Son of God, then prove that you are who you say you are. Because if you do, and God really loves you, he will, and he fills in the blanks and says, if God is really God and he really loves you, you can put him to the test and he'll respond. He's challenging his identity and the discouragement can come in place when we ourselves challenge, have our identity challenged and we question the love of God for us individually. In the same way that the devil says, if you are the son of God, he asks us many times and challenges us the many, many times the same way. Is God really your savior? Are you really a child of God if you've trusted him as your Lord and savior? Do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know who God has made you to become if you're not a Christian today? Do you know your identity? That's a big question for us to answer this morning. If we never know who we are, we will never become a threat to the kingdom of the devil. We need to know the authority that we have through Christ if we've trusted in him as our savior. If you've made a decision to trust him and the presence of God dwells in you, then you are the same spirit, the Bible says, that dwells in you as the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. That's pretty awesome power. That's pretty amazing power to think that that's who God has created us to be. That the identity that we have is found in Christ. And when we know what we're capable of, we can be an incredible threat to the kingdom of the devil. But if he can derail us to think we're not valuable, to think that we're not powerful, to think that as much as we try that we can't ever break free, he can keep us at bay. And through discouragement, we can never accomplish what God's called us to accomplish so that we can live an abundant life. Here's a way to illustrate this visually. Look at this picture with me. This is pretty ridiculous, right? Like, have anyone ever seen a picture like this before? Anyone see something like this? That's a pretty big horse, and that's a pretty light chair. And yet the horse is roped to the chair, and it'll stand there until someone comes and takes him off of the chair. This, isn't not a, this is not a gimmick. This is the real deal. Like this actually happens and can happen. And I'll tell you when it starts is when the horse is a very young colt. And you sit in that chair. And if that young colt can sit in that chair with the weight of a person there, and you can rope that colt to that chair and the coat will tug and pull a little bit and quickly enough that coat will recognize it's not strong enough and powerful enough to drag that person anywhere at some point in time it stops trying but there's a problem with that the coat continues to grow into a horse and gets bigger and stronger anyone ever ride a horse we have any horse lovers in the house well, we got a number of them in the second service if you've never sat on a horse before and watched a horse or maybe been on a horse when they run or they jump. I used to do this when I was younger. It used to scare me half to death when I would do it. But they're strong and they're powerful and they have some serious muscle. And when they get moving, you better get out of the way because they can do some serious damage to you. They are powerful animals. And yet this one is roped to the silly chair and won't go anywhere because at some point in its life, 
The owner trained it to think that it didn't have any power. And it believed it. And as it continued to grow and mature, it still recognized itself as the powerless cult. Can I tell you, this is a great picture of what the church can look like if we're not careful through discouragement. As the devil tries to speak lies to you and lies to me, he's saying your identity is not what you think it is. You don't have any authority because of Christ. You're, you're less than everybody else. Start comparing yourself. And it's such a dangerous thing for us to compare our lives to other people's lives. But when we look at others, we're not as gifted as them. We're not as skilled. Their situation is different. They didn't grow up with the same struggles that I grew up in. Or the devil wants us to camp on the things that we heard when we were little to remind us over and over again that we don't have identity that matters or we're not as valuable. I wonder how many of us would tell stories of our high school, junior high, and elementary school years and ask ourselves flat out, were we encouraged during those years or did some of the kids around us actually speak death into our hearts? What I know from my experience is I had friends that I appreciated and they were kind, but genuinely, generally speaking, people didn't walk through their elementary uh, school through high school years looking to find ways to just encourage each other. Did they? They don't. Kids are trying to figure out who they are. And one of the ways they figure out who they are is to point out what you're not. So it can raise themselves up and cut you down. And those kinds of words can be like anchors planted in your heart. They can be barbs that can stay there all of your life. You can be a 50-year-old or a 60-year-old that still sees yourself as that little underprivileged kid that someone critiqued or made fun of from second or third grade that has no value in their own eyes. And they're just like this horse chained to a chair with no weight to it. That's a lie. And the devil wants us to believe in discouragement and say, I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to be as strong. What value do I possibly have? Can I tell you over and over, I can't say it enough, that is a lie. If you struggle with your value, if you struggle with feeling that you're someone less than, that you're always the second person, or you know, as they say, like the Cinderella of the family or the black sheep of the family or whatever you want to use, you're always the last one and nobody ever thinks that you're valuable. That is not truth. What truth is, is Ephesians 2.10 where Paul says we are God's masterpiece. He created us to know Christ. He created us anew in Christ so that we can do good things he planned for us long ago. Paul doesn't just call you a pretty good person. Paul's not saying that we were just one of God's creation. He uses, this translation uses the word masterpiece. A masterpiece I don't know about you, but the masterpieces that exist in this world that were made by mankind are priceless. Can you imagine what a masterpiece is worth that was made by the creator of the universe? Do you realize that that's you and that's me and that's how God sees us? When you look back to the story of creation and you see God making all the things that he made in day one and day two and day three and day four, everything that he was making was setting the stage for the creator of the universe to breathe life into his perfect creation, his very best. And that was you and that was me. And he breathed life into you and he breathed life into me, making us in his image. What does that mean? You are more valuable than you could ever understand in the kingdom of God. The way that he views you is a, is a kid, a son and a daughter when we put our faith in Christ. 
And I love this scripture because it doesn't just say you're a masterpiece. It says you've been created to do the good things. Look, he planned for us long ago, which means before you were ever born, he knew who you were before you were ever born. You weren't hatched. You weren't created in a lab. You were made by God. And before you ever stepped foot on this earth, he already purposed you to do good works. That's how much he loves you and cares you. And that's how valuable we are to the kingdom of God. You with me? Hear what I'm saying about discouragement? People will walk around with their head down and I get it. Man, I've been the victim of it for so many years at different times in my life, feeling like, you know, I'm, I'm the second or I'm the, the, the last. Or, you know, when this starts, I mean, it starts so young. It starts because you might mature at a different level than kids around you. You know, I mean, for me, it was, you know, being still in ninth grade and looking like a fifth or sixth grader and walking around with guys that could bench press 250 pounds and grow beards. You know, how many times would you think you get chosen to be on the gym team or the team in the gym class when you look like, you know, you're fifth grade and you're going to play like some prison ball or you're going to like beat each other up, you know, with something. You're the last guy to ever get picked, you know, the last guy. And then back then they didn't use pennies back then. You know, a penny, you know what a penny is? It's like you put the colors over your shirts back then. Back then they used, you were, I remember the one time I was there, I didn't understand that I was a freshman and they divvied up the teams and I was the last, second or last guy on the list. And they're like, okay, you're going to go on that team and you're going to go on that team. And there was me and this other kid and, uh, and we were both, um, well, let's just say that I didn't realize that there were shirts and skins. That's how they actually denoted who was on each team. And I was like, what does that mean? Shirts? I don't know what shirts is. He's like, I'm a shirt, you're a skin. And I was like, I'm a what? I'm like a skin. You got to take a shirt off to play this game. And I was like, heck no. I was in ninth grade. I'm like, I'm never doing that. Well, guess what? Sorry, you got to do it. You don't have a choice. And it's like humiliation, public embarrassment for everybody, you know, who didn't look like, you know, that they had a six pack and they were running around on the track team. You know, it's embarrassing. It's humiliating. Can I tell you those kinds of things that happen when we're very, very young, if we're not careful at some point can creep into the fabric of who we are. And we can start to see ourselves through the lie that the devil wants us to believe. That you're not worth it. That you're not as valuable. That you're not as gifted. That you're not as whatever as somebody else. And the words that people have said to us can not just hurt us, but they can damage us forever. And many times, if we're not careful, it becomes part of our identity. I want you to know this morning, church, that discouragement is a way the devil wants us to fall. He doesn't want us to believe the truth that we're God's masterpiece. He doesn't want us to believe that we have nothing to offer. He doesn't want you to believe that you can boldly approach the throne of grace, which my Bible says I can do with confidence. Instead, he wants us to think God's too busy for you. God may love you, but he's too busy doing important things. Now you just run along. That's what he wants us to think. And no, what God wants us to know is I'm his kid. I'm his son. You're his son. You're his daughter. And you can approach him with confidence and say, hey, you made me in your image to know you. I want to know you. Your kid is want to talk to, wants to talk to you. And God gives you the attention that you ask for. Because he wants you to know him and he wants you to become everything he's created you to be. You are very valuable. So I ask you this morning, are you discouraged? Have you let discouragement get into the core of the fabric of who you are? I'm not like somebody else. 
The danger of comparison. I can't even, we could spend a whole message talking about the danger of comparison. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Ask yourself, have I seen myself less than how God really sees me? Can I tell you if that's where you are? It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. Satan wants you to believe it. And it's not true. You are fearfully and wonderfully made with a purpose to be known by God and for God to know you. Don't let discouragement steal an abundant life through Christ. The second way and that the devil steals from us is not discouragement, it's distraction. He steals from us with distraction. And here's the lie, it's up there. Your goals are not important. Your goals are not important. Look at the illustration that we see in verse 8. In the temptation, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What's going on here? Well, Jesus tells us in the Gospels why he came. The Son of Man has come, he said, to what? Seek and save the lost. That was his purpose. That was his goal. That was the intent. He came not to become a physical king on the earth. He came to be a spiritual king and bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And that only could have happened by defeating death on the cross. And that only could have happened by him being sinless. His mission was to seek and save the lost. And what was the devil saying here? If you're willing to take your mission and throw it away. I will give you everything that you see. Forget your goals. Forget what you're called in your heart to do. Here's something that's more alluring. And if you're willing to bow down and worship me, and what is he willing to say? If you're willing to recognize that I am actually would be more powerful than you, son of God, I will give you the world around you. Can I tell you, this is exactly what he does to us in 2017. He distracts us from the reason we are here. If you are saved this morning, if you gave your heart to Christ and you're still living, you have a purpose for being here on this planet. And God speaks to us about that throughout the Gospels. We're supposed to make disciples of all nations. We're supposed to be salt and light of the earth. A city on a hill, he says, cannot be hidden. We're supposed to reach people with the good news of Jesus everywhere that we go. And it doesn't mean we have to walk around saying, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you to everybody. It means the way that we influence the world is to bring Christ with us everywhere we go and people recognize, I don't know what's different here, but there's something about it and it gives an opportunity to make Jesus known. That's why we're still here. That's our purpose. But the devil knows that if we take that purpose and we fill that purpose with all of our kinds of purposes, distractions, busyness, things that occupy our time and our mind and our priorities. We will walk away from the things that really matter and just focus on busy. How many of you will talk to someone possibly in the next week or maybe you have in the last week and said, how are you doing? And their response is what? Busy. I'm busy. I don't like to say that even though it's true sometimes that it's just I'm busy. But busy can actually be a, a, can be a, 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 a temptation. Busy can be the antithesis of what God wants for us to accomplish sometimes, where we focus so much on our, of our time on things that don't matter, that at the end of our life on this side of eternity, all the things that God is giving us or he had for us to accomplish 
to create, make us who we were called to be. We never did because we were too busy doing things that didn't matter. What does it look like for you? I can't answer that. What I can tell you is I've known people over the years that have been called to the work of missions and then they charge themselves up to their eyeballs in debt and have to work roles and responsibilities to get out of debt and they never accomplish what they felt like God put it in their heart because they traded one thing and got distracted by something else. I had a friend many years ago in corporate tell me every time, and he was a, he was a pastor and he was a Christian, and he said every time that God makes you an offer, the devil's going to make you one too. And we always pray for the open door. God, just give me the open door, the open door. You think for a moment that the devil's not going to try to give you an opportunity as well? That's what he does. When we know who we are and he's called us to do stuff, to be, maybe it's, maybe it's involvement in the church, you know? I talked about this last week in the second service as well, but I've talked about the idea of, you know, over the years that, you know, we've gotten this, this van at our church, you know, when we got that van, how many people came up to me over the last number of years saying, we need to use that to reach kids and to pick people up and we need to reach it for, and they'd fill up these different things and I'd say, that's great. Who's gonna do it? Who wants to be involved? Who's going to make it a priority to actually give of their time to do that? Because if the goal is just to give ideas to the church leadership so that they go figure out how to do it, that's not biblical Christianity. Real Christianity is the church leadership saying, what has God put on your hearts? Because the body needs to function as the body, and it's not our job to go and do every area of the, of, the, of the ministry, but to find ways to give you tools and training to equip you and release you into doing the things that God's called you to do. But many times people have great ideas, but they don't follow it up with commitment. And it's not just in the church. It could be at our homes. Maybe you have great ideas with the way that you want to raise your kids and you want to put things in place that are great for your kids, but, but then you don't have the follow through and you get distracted by everything else that falls apart. I mean, it can be big things like that. It can be smaller things. Just this past week, putting together all my notes and my sermons and this stuff and Friday is supposed to be a day off for me on Friday afternoon, my computer died. It just shut down and it died. And any, I was like, Ooh, this is bad. It was bad. And I was like, okay. And I wasn't like upset, which is odd. But I also knew weeks ago, I'm like, I'm going to talk about discouragement and distraction. I'm going to talk about these different things, devil, that you try to do to, to steal my joy and steal life. And wow, was that ever a distraction on Friday afternoon? I'm like, oh, I can just reboot it. Oh, I can just restore it. And every time it was like, eh, eh. And I'm like, uh-oh, uh-oh. And I was by 7.30, 8 o'clock at night. I'm like, this isn't going to work. I'm like, I have a problem. you know. So I came in here and, and I left the computer and I was like, I got to just basically rewrite my stuff. So I opened up my Bible and I started going Friday night. I was going to be out of town all day Saturday. So I got up Saturday morning and I finished it all up and sat late Saturday night. But you know what? The whole time I'm like, this is not a coincidence. This is not a coincidence that when God calls you to do something and he puts something on your heart, the devil's going to try to look for ways to derail you from accomplishing what he wants you to do. So I ask you this morning, are you distracted from God's purpose in your life? Are you distracted? If you have one of these, I bet you're pretty distracted. You know, statistically it says that on a weekly basis, the average amount of time people spend on media, media, not just phones, is 50 hours a week 
on media. There's 168 hours a week that we have to live with and to work with. And 50 hours at a week are found in media. And that doesn't include people that work in a job that involves computers. So there's 40 of those hours not even included. So if you're 168 hours and then you work 40-hour work week or whatever that time frame is, add the 50 hours on top of that. After you factor in sleep, hopefully, after you factor in food, amen, right? Some of those things, things like showers and, you know, hopefully those kinds of things. There's not much time left for us to spend with God. There's not much time left for us to spend with relationships with other people. There's definitely not much time to spend refining and becoming the people that God has called us to become. You know what I think about over this past week? And I was so blessed to think about what happened in that. You know, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little just a public call out here. And Rosa, I know that I didn't really talk to you about it, but I think it's worth talking about. Um, wow, how your heartbeat for, the, you know, for Puerto Rico has just been like overflowing over the last month, you know, since the tragedy of what's been going on there. People still don't have electricity. People still don't have power. People are still looking to try to make ends meet with what they have. And, you know, try living a life in a world with no electricity where most people don't use cash anymore. You know, what are you going to do to make ends meet and what you're going to, you're going to trade to, to, to survive? And the amount of time and the effort, I think, that you guys, that the Weiss family has put into creating this opportunity for the church to be a part of, like, I get tired just hearing what Rosa's done and what Mark has done. And he's, I get tired listening to it, not, not because I don't want to hear it, but I mean, like, I go, wow, that's a lot. That's a lot. But I look at it and I go, but God put it in their hearts to do it. They did it. They made an opportunity available for others in the church to participate, not just in the church, but in the community and in relationships and all this stuff, which was so cool to be able to hear that it was going to cost thousands and thousands of dollars to ship via airline there. They were able to ship for $300 because God opened up another avenue for them to do it. And to boot on top of that a few days ago, when they went to drop all the stuff off, Jim Thomas went with them. He told me that the lady that was there that worked at the company, the shipping company, gave her heart to Jesus while they were doing everything that they were doing. I want you to think about this for a little bit. You know, you think about that and you go, wow, that's a great story. Or do you think I want to experience stuff like that? You know how you experience it? Stop being distracted and do the things that God has called you to do. Do the things that matter. Throw away your social media, shut off your television You know what? Sometimes it's good to help people, but sometimes helping somebody is not what God's calling you to be. You need to be who God has called you to be. That's the most important thing, and you need to obey what he's asking you to do that only you can do. It doesn't mean that we don't have servants' hearts. We need to have servants' hearts. But in 2018 in this church, the way that we're going to really be the kind of church I think that God's calling us to be is to really be focused on what God is calling each one of us to do, which means your skills or abilities, your passions, and the fruit that comes from those things will be the things you should be focusing on in 2018. Don't just try to do everything for everybody. Can I tell you the worst part about people that do that? You know, and I've been guilty of it over the years too, is the message that sends to the world around us is being a Christian means that you're so tired all the time and so busy doing everything that you don't have a time to breathe or have relationship with people because your life is just a chaotic mess because you're always helping. You're always going. You're always involved in things. No, no. What would it be like if we honed the things that we were supposed to do and God said, for you to be really excellent, you need to be more specialized. 
You need to be focused and accomplish the things that I'm calling you to do. You know what would it would look like? It would look like this picture. This is not something that we created. This is reality of what you would find in nature. You ever see a big tree with a big canopy with a lot of fruit and a lot of leaves? Do you know the only way that that tree can sustain that type of foliage is by having a root system that's deeper and bigger than the canopy? You'll never find a tree in nature that has a big canopy with lots of fruit and a little root system. The root system, many say, is almost like a mirror image of the canopy. In most cases, it's bigger, just like this image illustrates. If we want to experience fruit, real fruit, abundant life kind of fruit, to be who God's called us to be, to see the the benefits of healthy fruit, not anemic fruit, we need deep roots. We need broad roots. We need to go and let God plant us and stay planted and keep watering and keep watering. Can I tell you, it is hard to train sometimes. This week, I've been listening to like the Rocky theme song. And uh, not because I've been listening to Rocky stuff, but I'm a, you know, old jazz buff fan. And, you know, Maynard Ferguson did a version of it called Gonna Fly Now. You know the Rocky theme song? Da-da-da, da-da-da, right? And every time I listen to that, like, I get visions of, like, all the images in the movies where he's, like, running and he's training. You know, he never would have beat Apollo Creed if he just sat on his couch and ate ice cream every day. Could you imagine how ridiculous, you know? Well, I'm going to fight you. And then he just eats ice cream. You know, he's never going to win anything. You know, this ridiculous. He trained and he trained and he trained. And I know that he's not a real guy, but the reality of it is still the, tr- is still the truth. The Olympics are coming soon. You know how many hours these people dedicate to training every single day of every single week for so many years. And then they go start and then it's over. And they do it for like 10 seconds or two minutes or three minutes. And they give years and years and years of their time in training. Why? Their root systems are going deep. Their root systems are going wide. Their root systems are getting established. But you know what happens many times? We get bored. We get rammy. We don't want to put in the hard work to be excellent, to let God use us to the degree he wants us to. So we just do a little bit, and that's as far as we go. We do it in lots of different things. And you know the reality of it is? You don't have to be deep and wide at everything. That's not even possible. But the things that God has called you to be deep and wide at, be excellent at those things. Be deep, be wide, which means you're going to have to say no to more things so that you can say yes to the things that matter. It's a big deal. And the devil knows that if he can pick you up and he can rip you out and then root you somewhere else and pick you up and root you out, you see that. The people that will jump from place to place to place, careers, people that jump from place to place to place, People that are in churches every couple years, they go from place to place to place. They're never going to mature because they can't put their roots down and stay somewhere. Many years ago, I had somebody come to the church and uh, he had a hard time holding down a job. And it was a couple years of, of history. And I said, bring your resume in and let me look at it. And I'd love to be able to help you. And, and he showed me a resume that every four to six months he was in a new job. And he was always jumping around to different things. And, and he says, you know, I want to find another job, and I want to do this, this, and this. What do you think I need to change? And I said, well, can I be honest with you? And he said, sure. Then I found out he didn't really want me to be honest with him. People say that sometimes, be honest with me. And then when you're honest with them, even if you're loving with it, they don't really want to hear it. 
I said, well, if, if I was looking at your resume, I would never hire you. And he said, why? I said, because it says, it shows me a, a pattern of someone that can't stay planted anywhere for more than four to six months, that for whatever reason, you can't hold the job down. And I would never give my company's time and resources to train somebody that I think will be gone in three or four months. I said, so for that reason, I wouldn't even give your resume a second law, a second glance. That was not a good conversation. He didn't like it. You know, don't wonder who it is. He's not here. It's been many, many, many years ago. But it was true. My counsel to him was, bloom where you're planted. Find a place, do the hard work, grow through the hard times, and learn some responsibility. Because if you can stick it out for a year or two, three years, show that you're responsible and your goal is to go from this to this, now companies are going to be interested in seeing what it looks like because you're allowing your root system to go deep. I was talking to my dad last night. He's a pilot for Falcon Jet. He still flies full-time and he travels all over the world. And he says, just one training for a pilot to come and to train on one plane over a two-week period costs the company $40,000 for them to come in and train for two weeks. And I think, who is going to invest that kind of money in somebody that every two months, or I'm sorry, year or two, feels like they want to jump from job to job? No way. No one's going to invest in that kind of stuff. Can I tell you, and I say it carefully but cautiously, do you think God will invest in you if that's the way you live? Do I think God will invest in me if that's the way I choose to live? No. He's going to leave it out in front of us and he's going to say, bloom where you're planted. Let the roots go down. Do the hard work so that you can mature and bear good fruit. Don't be distracted and stay focused. When we say focused on what matters, God says, now I'm going to give you more. That's the principle of the scripture where he says, to whom that's been given much, much will be required. And for everything that we've been given, he entrusts us for more. So if we want to be faithful with large things, we first need to be faithful with what? Small things. And it's, it's exactly how it works. Avoid distraction, and the devil can never steal your life. The last thing that I want to mention today is not discouragement or distraction, but the third way he tries to steal is through temptation. He tries to steal through temptation for us. And here's the lie I just want to share, and it's this. Your treasure is not valuable. Temptation says the treasure is not valuable. Look at verse 3 of Matthew 4. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What was happening here is he was looking at the treasure, and the treasure that Jesus had, the Bible said that he was fully God and he was fully man. And the Spirit of God was given to him without, without measure, which means he had all of the Holy Spirit. And he walked this world without sin. He walked this world without sin. And the only way that he would have accomplished the work that God gave him was to stay without sin. We could not have been saved by a flawed savior. Does that make sense? We needed a pure savior and Jesus was a pure savior. He came sinless. He lived sinless. And what the devil was trying to do was take that treasure of purity and holiness and have him exchange that for something that was carnal and temporal. You're hungry. You have a need. Sin and take care of your physical needs. Wow, doesn't that kind of relate to us today in 2017? Purity matters to God. Being set apart matters to God. Righteousness, staying in close relationship matters to God. Sin separates us from God and sin begins with temptation. 
And if the devil can get us to tempt, to take into temptation or to fall to temptation, what he gets us to do is he gets us to say, this treasure that I have, which is pure relationship that I can have with God, I will let go of that so that I can take hold of something that I think is more valuable. Here's what it looks like. Look at this. Anybody have any dogs here that like to play tug of war with anything? Any tug of war dog fans? Any? Yeah? So this is not my dog. I just found this on the internet. So, you know, I'm sure this is a real dog and a real tug of war. But the, the, the truth is still in the picture. I have a dog and man, he loves to tug of war. You know, he loves a tug of war. He only tugs on the things we give it to him. Like we'll take an old dirty t-shirt, clean t-shirt, just an old one. We'll knot it all up and we'll be like, here's your toy. And he's like, oh yeah. I'm ready. And he'll walk around the house strutting his stuff. This 10-year-old aging dog. Look at me. Look at me all gray in his face. I'll come home sometimes and he'll come around the corner and it's just hanging out of his mouth. And he's like, hey. Or sometimes he doesn't have it. When you come home, he looks at you and then he runs and he gets it and he comes back and he's like, hey, are you ready? And you grab that thing and you start tugging with him and he just growls. And he's growling and he's pulling and pulling and you can spin him around and you can't get it out of his mouth. Because it's, it, it's important to him. It's valuable to him. And it's pulling and pulling and pulling. And I'll grab him really, really close. And I'll take my hands and I'll just stroke his nose. And he'll be looking at me. And he's going, and his tail's wagging. And he's not letting go. And then I'll, I'll scratch his chest a little bit. And I'll be like, let go, let go, rascal. And he won't let go. And then I'll take out a cookie or a treat. And I'll just show it to him. And he's looking at me, and he looks at the treat. And he looks at me, and he looks at the treat. <sighs> Mouth open, grabs the treat, game over. This is what the devil does to us. He takes the treasure that God has put in our hearts that he can't steal by grabbing and ripping it out. He can't. The power and the presence of God, holiness, purity, these things matter. Temptations It's the grass is greener mentality. This is his scheme that he wants you to look at everything that you have and think there has to be something better. He wants you to think that your job might be okay, but the other job that this person has is better. So instead of being thankful and doing my best here, I'll let go of this so I can try to pursue something else. Not saying we shouldn't change jobs. Marriage. I wish my wife was more like that person. I wish my husband was more like that person. I wonder how many of us have ever thought things like that. I wish my kids asked, acted more like this or like that. And we do comparisons. And I've watched people buy into one lie that becomes a bigger lie that becomes a bigger lie. And what they do is they take something that was beautiful that God put deep in their heart to say, you're supposed to love, guard, protect, and honor this situation and walk in purity in it. And I've watched them take it and rip it out and just leave it to pass so that they could pursue something else. You know, for being real about that kind of stuff with marriage, let's talk about adultery. Let's talk about how people could take 10, 20, 30 years of their life that they've built and just throw the whole thing away for a tryst that lasts moments. Looking on it on the outside, it doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense. You think, that's stupid. You know, that's really dumb. You know, driving through New York City or looking at New York City last night, seeing those buildings that cost billions of dollars to make. Could you imagine spending your entire life building one of those? And someone comes up to you and says, hey, hey, 
I've got this cool, I got this cool rubber ball and a little paddle. You know the thing that you hit? You know, I'll give this to you if you give me the title of that building. And you go, okay. Like, that's ridiculous that somebody would do that. Wow, that's a really cool rubber ball. I can hit it with the paddle and it comes right back. Yeah. And if you give me that building, you can have it. What a silly example of that is, you know? But we're willing to throw away all this stuff of high value to pursue something of little value. And who wins in that? God doesn't. Who gets damaged as a result of some of our decisions? Everyone around us. That's not how God has called us to live, church. You want to know the truth? The truth is that the Apostle Paul said, this is Paul, the guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and I love the way he said it, I have learned to be content in every situation. He didn't say, because Jesus visited me in the flesh uh, or in person, and I was trained in Arabia for three years, and I was filled with the Holy Spirit, I am now content. Thank you very much. He said, I have learned to be content in every situation. You know, it's a choice to learn contentment. That can be a hard choice in a world that tells you that there's always something better for you. Contentment is a choice. Or when Paul says, we can resist the devil, and when we resist him, he what? He must flee. Oh, I can't stand it. The temptation is too great. No, it's not. No, it's not. Because the Bible says that God will never tempt you beyond what you can bear. He only allows you to be tempted to what you can bear. And through the power that comes through him, we have the ability to deflect whatever the devil throws at us. That is the truth. So when we know who we are in Christ and our identity and we walk it out confidently, temptation doesn't have the kind of stronghold on us that it could have otherwise. I look at myself over this past year and I think of different things that I've had to apply. And earlier this year, I had a friend of mine that gave me a really good illustration and an example. I'm like, this is so powerful and I've been doing it and it's really helped me in an area of my life. That when I go, God, I'm tired of having the same struggle over and over and over and over again. It just seems like a merry-go-round, some of the things that we struggle with. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Just things that you just wrestle with. It never seems to go away. And you're like, what in the world? It gets, it gets on your nerves. It just feels demotivating. You then, then become discouraged. And then you can get distracted and the temptation continues. Someone talked to me. They said, well, the first thing that you should really do, and this is, I'm like, this works. Repentance is number one. Repentance. Coming to God with a heart that is pure and honest by saying, forgive me for my offenses towards you first. I have sinned against you. Honestly, not remorse, repentance, which is a turning away. I'm not going to participate in that anymore. But I am going to walk this way, God. Teach me to be more like your son. And there's repentance that happens. And then what happens after that is that God brings peace to your heart. He never condemns. He brings peace to your heart. And then every day, there's an opportunity to demonstrate what repentance looks like in these situations. And here's what I mean by that. And Pastor Matt, if you guys can get ready as we close, I just want to explain what this looks like. When you pray a prayer of repentance and ask forgiveness for things that you have kind of gotten into a rhythm with that's difficult to, to, to process, and you say, God, I'm in a, I'm in a merry-go-round here. I need to see this cycle broken. When you ask and you pray and ask forgiveness, he breaks that and he forgives you. 
But then every day there's an opportunity for you to either choose to walk in repentance or for you to go back to your old ways. It doesn't just happen. The devil's not scared by that to say, I know that Jesus forgives, forgives you. The cross represents forgiveness, but I'm going to get you to do it again and again and again. And then he visits you the next day and he comes up to you again next day. And then you have a choice you have to make. And this is the decision that I will make. When the same temptation or the same thing crosses my path the next day or a couple days later or a week later or whatever, I'll look at it and I'll speak to it and I'll say, I see you and I refuse to partner with you and I dismiss you from my life. And wow, has that been freeing? Has it been freeing for you to be able, for me to be able to look at things in my life and go, you know, I'm going to recognize it for what it is, the scheme of the devil. The scheme of the devil to tempt me and to walk me away from God in certain areas of my life and to say, today is not the day, devil. I'm not going to do that today. I see you. I refuse to partner with you. And I dismiss you from my life. And can I tell you, if you do that every single day or whenever the temptation comes or whatever the struggles come, something will happen sooner than later. You know what's going to happen? He's going to stop trying to attack you in the same area because he knows you know how to fight it. He knows you know how to deal with it and to make yourself stay focused on what matters. Now, it doesn't mean he's not going to look for other ways to try to come in and to distract you or to tempt you. But when it comes to the thing that you're working on in that moment, he's going to know that you've learned the proper ways and have the tools that you need to fight the temptation because the one who lives in you is greater than the one who lives in the world. Amen. He lives in you. He's greater than the one that lives in the world. Let's not buy into his lies this morning by being discouraged. Let's be reminded who we are in Christ. Let us not be distracted by focusing on things that really don't matter. And may we fight temptation so that we can stay in intimate relationship with our Lord and Savior. Would you stand with me this morning, please? My hope and my prayer for you today is that as we find we sing this song and we close this morning, that we would be reminded of this scripture that I'm going to show you in Philippians 2 right now that says, therefore God have elevated him to the place of the highest honor and gave him the name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What does it mean? It means the work was done on the cross. So by putting our faith in Christ, And clinging to Jesus, we have the ability to live an abundant life. And every part of creation has to answer to God through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's just worship this morning and be reminded that the name name of Jesus is the name above every name.